On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Annie, and Annie was in a toxic relationship with a triangulating deaf abuser. It's a story of weaponizing disabilities, being chosen, guilt, obligation, sowing the seeds of doubt, and dehumanization. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Annie. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. And if you want to be a guest on our show, like Annie is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read all of the instructions and then either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button and please send it in the form that we ask for and we're always looking for more episodes so please do send in your stories. I think I said that you were always looking for more episodes but I meant you were always looking for more stories so please do send in your stories and today's episode is actually an old episode. Uh, that I uh, that always stuck with me. It's from year one of, of doing this show. It was from September of 2019 with Annie. And this episode always stuck with me. And I don't know if people have gone back to listen to it. So I really wanted people to hear it. And it's really an insidious story as far as uh, like taking advantage of someone using your disability to take advantage of that person. Annie had gone through a lot. And what we pretty much are dealing with here when it comes to Annie's abuser, uh, if you're looking at Lundy Bancroft's uh, types of abuser, uh, he's this person's pretty much like a combination between the player and the water torturer with a little bit of the, maybe the demand man or Mr. Right, like just tiny sprinkles of that. You know, they have this controlling aspect to them, but I think the dominant two are the the, the player and, and the water torturer. So um, thank you for listening to my whole spiel here. And to Annie uh, for, for being a guest on our show uh, three years ago, it would be three, and, maybe three and a half years ago. Also, before we begin, a quick trigger warning for uh, sexual abuse as well. So there's a trigger warning for sexual abuse. And now, without further ado, once again, Annie, the floor is now yours. Thank you. Um, so I guess I will just start at the beginning. Uh, my ex and I met on a dating app. It was one of the swipe apps. We matched. He messaged me right away and we ended up sort of messaging back and forth that first night. Um, I liked him. He seemed okay. He was very chatty and kept the conversation going, which I liked. Uh, we had some stuff in common. So at that point I was in a master's program for disability studies. And when I told him that, he mentioned that 
he was or he is deaf and that he communicates with sign language. So I thought that was interesting. I had never dated anybody deaf before. I don't know sign language and I let him know that. Um, but I have some exposure to deaf culture and um, and to sign. I have coworkers who are deaf and I was sort of active in some disability communities, not um, the deaf community. Um, so it definitely wasn't a deal breaker or anything like that. Um, so yeah, he seemed okay. There were a, f- a couple things in that first message that kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but overall, you know, we had a, an okay conversation and he gave me his phone number. And so from that day on, we started texting every day. Uh, it was actually a month before we met in person. Uh, we matched at the beginning of December. So it was around Christmas time and we both had plans with, um, family and Christmas plans and that sort of thing. Um, So we were just sort of texting back and forth. And in that first week or first couple weeks, he disclosed a lot. So he immediately was telling me um, like really personal, like sometimes traumatic stories about his childhood. He was talking about his addiction history. He told me about um, intimate details about his sexual history. I mean, we were having like these really long, like one or two hour conversations every night. Um, He told me about his relationship history, that he had been married and that um, he and his wife had split up and that he tried to get back together with her for a number of years, but she didn't want to get back together with him um, and that they don't get along at all now. And that since he split up with his wife, he's really made a point of being friends with all of his exes. And he is. um, All of his friends, as far as I know, are ex-girlfriends. And of all of the exes that I know about um, of his, he is friends with all of them. And that's something that's a little bit different with him. Like a lot of times when I listen to stories on the show, um, I, you know, hear stories of, uh, people who are uh, like they're the person that they're with is like slandering their exes or is saying that their exes are crazy. Um, but with the guy that I was seeing, it was actually the complete opposite. He spoke in like really glowing terms about all of his exes. They were all amazing women. He was so proud to know them. He was happy that they were still friends. Um, yeah, so I and I liked that, of course, because I thought that showed maturity. You know, he wasn't slandering them or saying anything bad about them. Um, he told me that his last relationship had ended about six months before we met, and that the reason it had ended is because he was just totally in love with her, and she had never wanted to make it exclusive. Um, and then he had basically been single for six months, and then he met me. So. Initially, I actually felt uh, really happy that he was opening up to me. Um, And even though the conversations were very one-sided, I almost felt guilty. I was like, oh, I'm not really sharing anything about myself. Like, um, I'm not holding up my end of the conversation. But I found when I sort of tried to find an opening in the conversation to talk about me, there never really was one. He was kind of descending like these huge long walls of text And I barely had a chance to like sort of text back to confirm that I was paying attention. Um, And then, you know, he'd just tell a story about himself and then like the conversation would be over. Um, But in spite of that, like overall, my first impressions of him was that he was like just really funny and quirky. He seemed like a super positive guy. 
like he was never mad or frustrated or grumpy, like, um, stress just seemed to like roll off his back. And I liked that he was so chatty because I'm a pretty reserved person. I don't really like talking about myself. So, um, you know, I appreciated that conversations were really easy with him. Um, he was popular in his communities too. So he has like thousands of followers on social media. And so I kind of felt flattered, like, oh, wow, like this guy who's so popular and gets all this attention has like chosen me to spend his time with. So right here, pretty quickly, you have the feeling that you were chosen, which is a big thing, just like on the show, uh, The Bachelor, any of those types of shows where you are put into this idea that you have to win someone. So you're putting them up on a pedestal. So that's kind of being done right here. And also the girls as uh, friends is usually the opposite of what we are hearing or seeing because it's a lot of the times the, you know, they're talking badly about their exes. But for this specific purpose, it's being done uh, as comparisons. It's being done to set up triangulation and to keep any off uh, balance of eventually, uh, you know, as far as uh, when it comes to um, the idea that uh, if he's friends with these other people uh, and he's so popular, maybe it could be me. So the triangulation in sowing the seeds of doubt is already being put uh, into Annie very, very early on uh, in this relationship. And quickly after this, another triangulation uh, comes into play as well. And it was probably about two or three weeks after uh, we started talking that I eventually told him where I work. And I texted him and he texted back, oh, shit. And then he followed that up with, um, my brother Jeff works there. Jeff is not his real name. (laughs) Um, So... Jeff is actually someone that I had worked with for about uh, seven years. He, We had essentially the same job in the same department. Jeff had started working in the department a few years after I started. And I never really knew him well. Um, Jeff is deaf also. So just because of the language barrier, because I don't know sign language, it was difficult to have like start a conversation with him. But, you know, I would say we had like a professional friendly relationship, like he would smile or wave when we passed in the hallway. And, you know, we had meetings together and we would sort of um, chat in the meetings um, with when the sign language interpreters were there. And, you know, we'd eat lunch at the same time in the lunchroom. So my impression of him was just, you know, he was just a private, shy guy who just kind of liked to keep to himself. Um So, yeah, so my ex tells me this, and I was like, oh, my God, like, yeah, of course I know Jeff. Like, we've worked together forever, and, like, his office is just a few doors down from mine. And my ex, like, immediately texts back, and he's like, oh, um, my brother has a rule that I'm not allowed to date anybody that he works with. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Like, okay, do you not want to continue on with this? Or, you know, like... 
that seemed like a pretty specific rule. And he was like, my ex was super reassuring, like, no, 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 you know, I really want to see where this goes with you. Um, like, it's not a big deal. Like, uh, and, you know, we sort of dropped it. But then over the next few days, you know, he'd sort of bring it up, like, you know, I'm really worried about what Jeff's reaction is going to be when he finds out, you know, that we're seeing each other, like keeping in mind that my ex and I had actually not even met yet. Um, and so, you know, yeah, he was texting me like, oh, he had had a conversation with his best friend, um, who was one of his ex-girlfriends. Um, and he was talking to her about how stressed out he was about what Jeff's reaction was going to be. And, um, you know, he brought up like, you know, uh, all relationships end and, um, you know, what is it going to be like for you if you have to work with, um, the brother of an ex-boyfriend? Like, aren't you worried about it being a toxic work relationship? And like, what if Jeff tries to like retaliate on you? And I just thought like, what is this? Co- like, what conversation are we having? We haven't even met yet. And now we're talking about what my work situation is going to be like when we break up. Like, I just thought it was odd and kind of an overreaction, but, um, you know, he had, my ex asked me, like, do you think, like, I should tell Jeff now that we're seeing each other? And I'm like, well, we haven't even met, so why don't we meet first, like, see how that goes, and then come up with a plan um, about what we're going to tell your brother. So he seemed okay with that. Um, So we... um, we're setting up a, a date and time that we were going to meet. We live about an hour apart, so we planned to meet in the middle, and uh, we were going to go for lunch at a restaurant. So we had sort of narrowed down, I think, like three places, and he gave me the choice of three places where um, where we would meet and asked me to choose one. And so I just like randomly picked one and immediately he shot it down. He was like, no, I don't want to go there. You know, I had a first date there once and it was really bad. I showed up and, you know, the girl was high and he starts telling me this really long, weird story about this date. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, he gave that as one of the options, pick a different one. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. And, you know, at the time I was just like, oh my God, this guy is so funny. Um, in hindsight, I see that as sort of the beginning of how he navigated our relationship and sort of giving me the illusion of control, but never actually letting me make any decisions. Um, but we we set a set a place for the first date. You know, it's leading up to the date and on the day of the date, like I was pretty nervous. We had been talking for a month every day. And so I felt like there was a lot riding on it. Like I was genuinely starting to like him. Um, and I hoped that he would like me. So I show up, we're having lunch. He brought a pen and paper with him. And so that's how we communicated on that first date. Cause of course I didn't know any sign language at that point. And, you know, it was just mostly like a normal first date, kind of like small talk. Um, I do remember at one point we were talking about tattoos and I showed him a tattoo idea that I had and I was pretty excited about it. It was like this really cool, like woman tree hybrid type of thing. And I'd been working on it for a while. And so I was like, Oh, like, look at this. And I showed him a picture on my phone and he just looked at it and he like wrote down or said like, it's a tree and like very like deadpan and kind of like just gave me like a, so what shrug and then sat there and stared at me. And I just like that reaction was just so unexpected. Like 
typically you would expect someone to say like, oh, that's really neat or that's cool. But just the way he like immediately shot it down and was just so dismissive of it, that's really the first time that I remember feeling like shame and stupid about something that I liked. Um, but other than that, like lunch was fine. We finished eating. He asked if I wanted to go for a walk. Um, so we went to a park nearby and we went for a walk and he held my hand and I just thought that was so sweet. It was like high school, like nobody had held my hand in so long. And so we walked for a bit and we were kind of typing notes back and forth on our phones and Eventually, we stop and we sit on a park bench, and the bench was sort of um, in front of a playground, and it was a really beautiful winter day. So there were lots of kids and families sort of playing in the playground behind us, and we're sitting on the bench, and it's really sweet. And, um, you know, we're writing notes back and forth, and then he leans in to kiss me, and he starts kissing me, but these are not like tentative first date, like getting to know you kisses. So it's like aggressively making out like tongue in the back of my throat. Like it almost hurt. He was kissing me so hard. And so I felt uncomfortable right away. Like, first of all, cause it was just so aggressive. And also because there were kids playing like right behind us. So I stopped him and I kind of gestured to the kids like, dude, what the heck? Like I'm not making out with you in front of children. And uh, he types a note to me on his phone and he's like, I don't care. I can't hear them. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, I understand you can't hear, but you know, they're there. Like you can see them, right? Like it just was so weird, that response. And so he asks me, he's like, do you want to stop? But it wasn't like in a supportive way. It was like very accusatory, like not friendly. And so I was kind of like, eh, you know, I I wasn't comfortable with it, but also like this was our first date and I didn't want to screw things up on our first date. And so I was kind of like, no, that's okay. But you know, then he starts like making out with me again and I'm kind of like pushing him away a little bit. And you know, so he kissed me for a little bit longer and then stood up, smiled, waved goodbye, walked to his car and drove away. And I was just like, all right, like, so I'm sitting on the park bench after, like, my face had just been assaulted with this guy's tongue. And then he just, like, got up and walked and drove away. And I was just like, okay, what the hell just happened? Like, I'm driving home. And I was like, yeah, that was, like, the weirdest first date I've ever been on. And uh, I get home and already he's texted me. He was like, oh, my God, like, he was totally gaga over me. He couldn't believe how great our date was. Um, he's like told me that he remembered the way the sunlight hit my hair and that it looked magical. Um, he was like, I, you know, I have to set up a second date with you right away. Like, I don't want to wait. And I was just like, all right. Like, so I, I'm starting to doubt my own perception. Like, okay, maybe the date wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Like, it wasn't that it was bad, but... <laughs> So he's creating this scenario already where you haven't even started dating, but he's already talking about the breakup. He's projecting what's going to happen with you and his brother in in the office. He knows what's going to happen with you and his brother in the office and him and the triangulation that'll happen there. 
when it comes to the date choosing, the spot choosing, it's giving you the illusion that you have a choice. And when you don't make the choice that he wants, he moves that goalpost in a way. It's a gaslighting in a lot of ways, but he's also showing you that it's really all about him and he's really not considering you at all. He's making it sound like he's considering you at the beginning, but he doesn't. And uh, that's another big thing that's happening here. And then it comes to your perception of the date, which is very confusing because you know what happened on that date. And then him to be so enthusiastic uh, in the aftermath, like he wants to see you again, makes you rethink what actually happened on the date. And you've known him for so long at this point, uh, in the sense of you've known him for a month, uh, you know who his brother is, he's been vouched for. And you have all of this previous month's worth of information and everything he's been telling you to see him in a specific way. So it's easier to overlook here. And you're also, you know, you're still in the the mode of I was chosen. This guy's a pretty good guy and you have him on this pedestal. So it's uh, very easy to give him the benefit of the doubt and be like, okay, this one thing happened. I didn't like what happened, but I'll forgive it. And um, move on because everything else has seemed to be uh, fantastic in, in 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 my eyes. So, uh, what happens from here? You know, like like you said, we've been talking for a month. Overall, I like him. Like, I guess I was sort of like, I'll give him a pass on that. But yeah, so we set up a second date and uh, our texting. Like, definitely, you started turning more sexual after the first date. Um, so we were talking about what we liked and what we didn't like what was okay, what was not okay. He told me he thought there's like a pretty decent chance we might sleep together on our second date. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Um, We had made plans to meet at his place. And like, normally I would never like ever consider being sexual with someone on a second date or like even meeting a guy at his place on the second date. But again, like there was that level of intimacy there almost because we've been talking and it wasn't just every day. It was like all day, every day. So he would text me in the morning. We'd check in throughout the day and then we'd have these super long conversations at night where he was telling me all these really personal things. And so even though we had only been on one date, it seemed like we had known each other for much longer. Um And also because he was the brother of someone I'd worked with for seven years. So there was like familiarity there too. And almost like, I don't know, like the illusion of safety, right? Like nothing bad is going to happen because he knows I know his brother, like, and his brother seemed like a decent guy. So I think like in that respect, I kind of, um, like moved a little bit faster with him than I normally would have. Um, but anyways, yeah. So it's our second date. I get to his house, walk through the door, take off my coat and like, he starts kissing me and we made out for like two hours. It was like just intensely physical. Um, eventually we come up for air and he put on a movie. Um, we sort of chatted via pen and paper. He had the pen and paper out again. And we were just talking about like traveling, where we'd been, where we wanted to go. And, um, you know, eventually it was getting late and I left. And the next day I didn't hear from him 
and that was unusual because like I said, we were texting all day. And so like in the late afternoon, I texted him just to um, be like, hey, I'm just curious like how you thought the date went last night. And he told me he was busy and he texted me back later that night. So it wasn't until like 8.30 or 9 that night that um, I actually heard from him. And when he texted back, he said, uh, you know, the date was fun, but it seemed like more of a hookup. I just, I don't see any long-term potential with you. Um, didn't ask what I thought. And he mentioned like, there's always awkwardness and communication when I'm seeing somebody new. And he kind of alluded to the fact that like, maybe my communication wasn't as strong as he wanted or, um, like I wasn't doing something and he didn't like elaborate. So I was like confused. I was like, Oh, like we were just communicating with pen and paper, like what did he expect that I would have learned some signs already? Like he didn't mention anything about that. And again, this is like my first experience dating someone that's deaf as well. So, um, you know, I don't, I didn't know if there were like, was an expectation or what that was. Um, so he's telling me all this and I was just kind of like, okay, like I felt crushed. Cause I mean, the, night had definitely been mutual. He was very dominant. Like it wasn't me putting the moves on him, but then he kind of shifted it back to me. Like, you know, you know, I was just a hookup. So I asked him like, okay, well, do you want to try again? Like, do you want a third date? And I don't even know how it came up, but he somehow decided that um, that we would see each other again. But what he was going to do is he was going to set up a 10 date trial. And, um, after the 10 dates, he would decide if I would be his girlfriend and Lord knows what I was thinking. Um, I have a lot of questions about what I was thinking, but I agreed. Um, and so we started seeing each other like once or twice a week and it was a trial. Like he would tell me after every date, how many dates we had left. Um, I found out later that he was actually keeping a log of all of our dates. So after each date, he would record like what we did, what we ate, if we watched a movie, what movie we watched, like if we went somewhere as well as like sexual positions or like sex acts, like it was all in there. Um, and it was after seven dates that we were texting one night and he told me that I was his girlfriend and I was kind of like sarcastically as sarcastically as you can be over text was like, you still have three dates to decide that. Cause I was not impressed with this whole 10 date trial thing. And, uh, and he said, Nope, I've decided it's done. And so like, that was it. Like I was his girlfriend and I wanted to be his girlfriend. At that point, I was like completely infatuated with him. The love bombing was like in full effect. Like he was texting me constantly and like, you know, he would tell, like, he wasn't just happy, right? He was texting about, like, he was blissed out. He was telling me, like, I was the best parts of all of his exes put together, that he had waited such a long time for me, that I was a fantasy. I would wake up sometimes to find that he had texted me in the middle of the night to tell me he was thinking about me and how happy he was. He told me he had, like, no doubts about us. Um, Like, very soon after, he told me that I was his girlfriend. He started talking about the future. Like, Um, he was like, you know, for our, our first anniversary, you know, I want to go back to that restaurant that we went to on our first date. Like this is seven dates in, I think, you know, what like a month or two, like two after we had met, like, and he's already planning our first anniversary. Um, 
our relationship was hypersexual, like from beginning to end, that never changed. Every time we got together, um, we would have sex like two or three times at least. Um, he was very touchy even outside of that. So we were always holding hands or he was rubbing my arm. We were sitting together, you know, like he'd have my legs in his lap, rubbing my legs. Um, like, you know, at that, in the beginning, it just really seemed like he could not get enough of me in every way. And I mean, he was up on a pedestal too. I just thought like, he was the most fantastic person that I had ever met. He was like the funniest and smartest and most interesting and coolest. And, um, I mean, I was, yeah, just totally like head over heels for him. So he really has created his own bachelor episode where you do have to win him and triangulation is a big part of this whole entire thing. Uh, you know, saying things like, uh, you know, you're like all the best of my exes put together. So when you go through this process of, you know, succumbing to his, you know, rules or, or needs or, or whatever these things are that he's doing because he just wants control, you know, you're in this sense of winning him and he's kind of buttered you up uh, to make you think that you are the best of the best of everything that's gone on in his past. And even, you know, when you, after the seven dates that uh, you're now his girlfriend, you know, you've won and it's, he's done it in a way where he's been able to exert control uh, over you and at the same time we wash it over and doing it in this triangulating a uh, winning way and uh you know at the same time championing you at the end of it and um really making you feel like you won and that kind of uh, glosses over you know the reality of of what is going on so uh, how do things go from here? Right around the time that um, that he decided that I was his girlfriend, he told me that he had told Jeff about us. And he's like, yeah, Jeff said you're like a super friendly, nice girl. And um, and I so I felt like relieved. I was like, oh, good. That's over. You know, we were worried what his um, reaction might be. And so it seems like it was a good reaction. So, you know, I expected like, you know, I might get like an email from Jeff at work being like, ha ha, like I heard that you're dating my brother, you know, or like some sort of like awkward conversation and we'd have a laugh about it. Um, and at that point I had also started to learn sign language. So I was like, you know, you know, I'm in a committed relationship with this person now. I really like him. Things are looking good. We're talking about the future. Like he, American Sign Language is the language that he uses to communicate. So, you know, I want to learn that because I don't want to be writing notes back and forth or typing notes on our phones every time we get together. And so, you know, I'd watch videos on YouTube or, you know, there's uh, websites that you can go to to learn sign language. Um, we were using an app called Glide to message each other. It's basically like a messaging app, but you use uh, send videos instead of texts. And so like, yeah, and that, you know, the beginning things seemed like awesome. We were both really into each other. Um, then like he started planting like little seeds of doubt. The way that he manipulated me was always kind of the same. 
So like, for example, um, one night we're texting and, you know, instead of our usual, like super long conversation, he's taking forever to get back to my texts and kind of give me like one or two word answers. So I ask him like, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm just busy. And then the next day we was back to normal. So I was like, okay, like, you know, people get busy. I didn't really think anything of it. And then it was like a week later and he texts me and he's like, you know, I just want to apologize for the other night when, um, when I was busy, you know, I made you worry and I feel really bad about that. And I was like, Oh, don't worry about it. Like you were busy. And he's like, yeah, you know, the reason that I was busy is because, um, an ex-girlfriend of mine had emailed me. So this was the, the woman that he had gone out with right before me, the one that he had been in love with, but who wouldn't commit to him. And she wanted to be friends again. And I think, yeah, he had to talk to her because she wanted to sleep with him and he had to tell her that he couldn't because he was with me. And so like, obviously I'm feeling insecure. Like this, you know, person that I'm with brushed me off to talk to a woman who admittedly he was in love with, but couldn't be with because she didn't want to be. And now he's brushing me off to talk to her about the fact that they, like they're discussing whether they can sleep together or not. So I'm like, you know, I'm feeling insecure. And then he says that he has a question for me. And then there's a long pause, which he always did. He never asked questions like anything about me. So I knew like if he did, it was going to be something important, but he always like have these long pauses. So like, of course I'm anxious, like, oh my God, what's he going to ask me? And then he asks, uh, in my previous relationships, like, was I usually the one that broke up with my partners or did they usually break up with me? And, you know, like, And then, you know, I answered and he's like, yeah, yeah, I just assume like, because you're so awesome, like you were always the one that broke up with them. But it's just like, that is like such a typical conversation for us. He sort of like comes in like the good guy, like, you know, I'm really sorry I made you worry. And then like plants like a bunch of insecurities, you know, let's talk about breaking up a bit and then like ends the conversation. But like, oh my God, like, but you're the best. Like, I'm so happy to be with you. Like those types of conversations just happened all the time. You know, at the beginning, it wasn't as frequent, um, but he, he was starting to get like sort of hot and cold. So some days he would still be like over the top, over the moon. And then the next day he seemed like almost annoyed by me, like annoyed by that. I was texting him all the time and he'd be like short answering or ignoring me. Um, And our conversations were changing too. So at the beginning, um, you know, he's giving me like tons of personal details, but uh, the conversation sort of shifted and started becoming like very superficial. So we were still texting all day, but like now all we were talking about is like what he was eating, what game he was playing, like what he was watching on TV. Um, And he never asked me about me, like even to ask how I was doing ever. It was just like, he would give me an update on him and then that that was it. If I did talk about me, like text about me, he'd just say like cool or um, he'd change the subject or end the conversation or text back like, oh, you can tell me about that another day. Like the conversation would just shut down if I tried to talk about myself. If I brought up anything that I liked, it was sort of the same as on our first date. Like when I was talking about the tattoo, like he just didn't care, like not impressed, not interested, didn't want to talk about it. Um, 
he never gave me any genuine compliments. So if I'd ask him, like, what do you like about me? He'd say, like, oh, he liked how I made him feel. He liked how much I liked to please him. Or, like, he liked how I made him feel attractive. But it was never anything about me as a person. It was all about, like, how I made him feel. And it started to bug me, like, when we first met, I thought he's like, he's so positive. Like he's never stressed out, you know, everything just like rolls off his back. But now like I was starting to realize I'm like, that's not really positivity. Like he just lacked emotion. Like I never saw him sad. I never saw him stressed or worried or angry or happy or excited or anything. He just sort of existed in this emotionless state. It's really hard to describe. Um, yeah, just completely like, I guess almost like a robot, like just nothing. Even if he brought up something that he should have been bothered by, he was just like, eh, like just shrugged everything off. Like nothing bugged him ever. And, uh, yeah, everything was always on his schedule and according to his plans. So like, what days we saw to get what days we saw each other like how much time we spent together what we did when we were together if i suggested like seeing each other an extra day or on a different day it was like no that's not going to happen he was always too busy or too tired or just didn't feel like it like it was all him and what he wanted um and he never called me by my name ever it was always like babe or baby or cutie or hun near the end of our relationship he actually gave me the nickname ruby and the reason that he gave me that nickname is it's short for Rubik's Cube. And uh, I'm sort of skipping ahead, but we ended up breaking up three times and getting back together. But um, so he said that I was like his Rubik's Cube because he liked scrambling me up and then putting me back together and then scrambling me up again. And he t- said, it's fun because every time the scrambles are different. And I just, I thought... That is the most self-aware thing I think I've, I think that's the only self-aware thing I ever heard him say, but also like he just had no shame about it. Like he basically admitted to me that he was fucking with me and, and then he made a nickname out of it and that's what he called me. So he, he gave me that nickname close to the end. It was after we got back together for the third time. And at that point I knew like who he was. And like, I, I think it was more like just confirmation. Like, yeah, I know this guy is screwing with me and I know he doesn't care. And now he's like basically admitting it to me. So here he's been sowing the seeds you're of insecurities, of doubts within you. There's a silent treatment that's been going on. And now he throws out this Rubik's cube line, which is a pretty brazen a truthful line. It's him saying to you that, you know, he's trapped you and he's not hiding it and there's nothing you can do about it. It's kind of like he's reveling. Uh, but we jumped ahead in, in the story there. Uh, but there's an other element to your story and it's a big one. And that is the use of your ex's disability against you. So I guess, tell us, how this part of the abuse uh, began to get worse. So he, throughout our relationship, was very critical of my sign language skill. Um, 
So he would make really disparaging comments about hearing people. And he would tell me a lot like how hearing people signing sucks. Um, He would show me comments in his um, online deaf groups where like other deaf people were talking about how much they hate hearing people. And then he would kind of like just look at me and smile and wait for my reaction. And I was like, you know, like, why would you show me that? I know that that sentiment exists within the deaf community, um, not from everybody, but, you know, it's just like a hurtful thing for him to to show me. Um, when I was trying to sign with him, like, he always just looked, like, really annoyed. Sometimes he would look away or he'd just sort of, like, nod dismissively and then walk away, like... He was just super not encouraging. He never, like, offered to work on it together. He never even really, like, acknowledged if I was improving or learning. Um, If I was struggling, like, if we were having a conversation, I couldn't think of how to express myself. He'd just sit there and watch me. And it was just, like, honestly, it was just humiliating because I'm an intelligent person. And I was putting real effort into, like, it's an entirely new language. Sign language isn't just signed English. It's got its own syntax, its own structure, and its own vocabulary. And so, like, I'm trying to learn this language to improve the communication in a relationship that's really important to me. And he just was really critical about it. Like, I I never felt supported or, like, he wanted to help or work on it together. Um, at one point he gave me a quota. So he told me like, he expect, he told me he expected me to send a certain number of glides every day and that they had to contain at least two new signs that I hadn't used before. So now like it was almost like an assignment and he would get upset with me if I didn't meet the quota. Um, and, you know, by this point, like I was talking to my friends about him and stuff. And a friend of mine mentioned that she knew someone, uh, a guy who had started dating a deaf girl and learned sign language. And she was talking about like how romantic it was. And so I kind of had that in the back of my head, like, yeah, like what I'm doing is really romantic. Like I'm learning a whole new language for like this person that I'm falling in love with, but it didn't feel romantic. Like it felt really uncomfortable and awkward and I always felt like shame and responsibility for not being better. Like it seemed like the expectation was that I would be better than I was, even though he knew when we first started dating, I didn't know how to sign, but I started using like language and, and culture barriers as like an umbrella for everything that was all the things that were wrong in our relationship. So I would be like, well, of course things feel off. Like we can't have a proper conversation in person and, you know, text messaging is not ideal. There's lots of like nuance lost. So it's like, of course, this doesn't feel like a normal relationship because, you know, we're struggling with this communication piece. Um, Like he never wanted me to meet his friends and family. And I was like, well, of course he doesn't. Like I can't sign like that would be, you know, a a challenging situation for me to go spend time with him and all of his friends if I can't understand what they're saying and I can't express myself. Um, You know, whenever I would like laugh or like um, try and tell him something funny, like he never found anything funny that I did. And I was like, well, you know, maybe it's like a cultural thing, you know, deaf humor is different than hearing humor. And so, you know, I just need to be more sensitive and like understand that, you know, he's not going to find everything funny that I find funny. Um, and I totally took on like all the responsibility to improve our communication. So if we were having a conversation and it, 
was challenging. It was like, well, that's because I didn't learn enough or like, I'm not trying hard enough. Um, and I really, like, I felt super anxious when we were together. Like I would really almost feel like dread leading up to our dates. And I was like, well, of course, like, of course I feel anxious. Like it's stressful having to communicate and, you know, with like my limited language skills. Um, but by the end of the relationship, like my signing skills were quite a bit stronger. Um, like I could definitely understand um, what he was saying and my expressive skills were getting better. Like we could have an entire conversation in sign language by the end. And I actually ended up right before we broke up, I um, signed up for uh, an ASL class at Gallaudet University, which is the deaf university in Washington, D.C. Um, and that was really eye-opening because all of my instructors and TAs were deaf. And I was really shocked. I was like, why are they being so nice to me? Like deaf people hate hearing people. Like why are they why are they helping me out when I'm when I, there's a word that I don't know? And they were giving me all this feedback. They're like, why are you taking an ASL class? Like your signing is excellent. I, I got 100% on my midterm and my instructor actually emailed me. She's like, your skills are beyond excellent. Like, and so I was like, huh, like maybe it's not that I don't have the skill to communicate with this man. Like maybe it's that he's like shutting down, um, shutting down our conversations. And I kind of almost wonder, like, so when we were going out, he'd always tell me like, you're going to be my last hearing girlfriend. I'm done with hearing girlfriends. Like my next girlfriend's going to be deaf. Um, and I kind of wonder if he purposely chose hearing like a hearing girlfriend because he it created like that power imbalance like I couldn't communicate with him and maybe that's why he wasn't super encouraging of me learning because he didn't want me to like he didn't want that level playing field I don't know so right here uh, Annie's taking on all the responsibility there's minimization there's justification going on there's a power imbalance and eventually the triangulation of her ex's brother Jeff comes back uh, into this story? Uh, his brother. Um, so, yeah, so it, initially, you know, he had told me his brother said that, um, you know, I was a super nice person and I was, like, feeling really positive about things. He told, uh, my ex told me, so, like, he was going to try and respect each of our boundaries by not talking too much about us to each other. And I was like, awesome. Like, yeah, that seems like a good idea. I totally understand that. But then... Um, it was starting to cause um, problems. So my ex was reporting back to me that Jeff was upset because, you know, my ex wasn't sharing details about his relationship with him and they had always been super close and now all of a sudden they weren't talking. Um, you know, these conversations about his brother were happening, I'm going to say like once or twice a week. So this wasn't like every so often, this was like a constant, like almost constant topic of conversation. Um, my ex was telling me like he was so stressed about not being able to be open with his brother, sort of implying like I was driving a wedge between them. He told me that Jeff wasn't happy we were dating. Um, Jeff was upset because my ex wasn't spending as much time with him because now he was spending so much time with me. Eventually it got to the point where he was telling me that Jeff hated me and I was just like he hates like he doesn't even know me so at this point Jeff and I have not had a conversation not in person not by email nothing like he has not acknowledged that I'm dating his brother I have not spoken to him or communicated with him that I'm dating his brother um 
And uh, at work, things were starting to get weird. So, like, Jeff stopped acknowledging me. So, like, um, if I passed him in the hallway, like, he'd sort of turn his head or avoid making eye contact. He would sit down right next to me in the lunchroom, like, not even acknowledge me. Um, there were times, like, if I was walking into the office behind him, and um, I know he saw me, he'd, like, walk through the door and let it just close in my face. So he was very blatantly, like, making a point of of ignoring me, basically. Jeff was also reporting back to my ex what I was saying and doing at work. So like I had mentioned something in a team meeting and then I get a text from my ex that night asking me questions about it. <clears throat> Jeff would email or Jeff would tell my ex that like I'm trying to be so friendly and she's not. And so then my ex would be texting me like, what's going on at work? You know, my brother's telling me that, you know, he's trying to be friendly to you and, and you're ignoring him. And so I'm like, whoa, like this is just like escalating, right? I'm like, okay, I haven't even had a conversation with, uh, with Jeff at all. And so I'm, you know, I'm trying to sort of like do some damage control and fix this. And so I tell my ex like, look, I've got no problem with you talking to your brother about this relationship. Like, tell him anything you want. Tell him about our relationship, talk about our sex life, like whatever you would have talked to him about before, I'm fine with it. Like, I appreciate this is a different situation, but, you know, like, it's important to me that you and your brother, like, that our relationship not affect the relationship you have with your brother. Um, and he was like, my ex was just like, no, 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 I don't feel comfortable doing that. You know, um, you know, I just want it to be like you and me. Um, you know, I don't want to involve anybody else. I don't want to involve my brother. I don't want to involve my family. You know, just really like, first of all, isolating us, but also just, you know, putting like this guilt on me for, you know, this dynamic with his brother that was changing. You know, while my ex is telling me that he's, you know, doing all of this to respect everybody's boundaries, he would tell me really personal and intimate things about his brother and then tell me, oh, but Jeff doesn't want you to know that. So, um, you know, he'd tell me something about like his relationship or something and then show me a text where Jeff was saying like, don't tell me. So I just felt like awful because I'm like, oh my God, I'm unwittingly violating Jeff's boundaries now. And I'm keeping secrets that I didn't even want in the first place. Um, and so I'm just, you know, and things are all weird and uncomfortable at work. And, um, and so I would, you know, I'd talk to my ex and I'd be like, look, I want to fix this. Like, I'm going to talk to your brother. Like, let, let's just sort this. This is just a misunderstanding. Cause this is like months and months and months had gone by at this point. And like, things were not getting any better. And I'm like, why don't, you know, I'll just talk to him. Like, he seems like a, like a reasonable guy. And my ex was like, absolutely not. I do not want you guys talking to each other. Like he would be like, just like, adamant like he does not want me and his brother communicating so but then at the same time sort of like like he was sort of like yeah you know I'll arrange a time for all three of us to meet so like you guys can meet properly and you know I've, I've talked to Jeff and I told him like this is really starting to affect our relationship um but I mean, at work, like it was just so uncomfortable and so stressful. You know, I was like trying to catch Jeff's eye when we passed in the hallway or try to like wave at him in the lunchroom and he just like shut it down. Um, and, you know, and then I'd get like a text that night saying like, you know, that I was the one ignoring him. And so I just started trying to avoid him. I stopped having lunch with my friends in the lunchroom. Um, I just like wait till everybody else was done, get my lunch and eat alone in my office. And, um, 
really just avoided leaving my office at all because I didn't want to bump into him. Like I just didn't want this conflict to continue. And, um, I didn't know how to fix it, but you know, I sort of felt like I was causing it because it's like everybody was sort of blaming me for it. And I didn't, but then when I tried, when I suggested fixing it, it was like, well, no, we can't do that. So, um, you know, I, I started talking to my friends, like, look, like I'm in this relationship and something's off, like something's weird here. Like this guy I'm seeing is like really hot and cold. And, you know, I'm getting like a weird vibe from him and like Jeff's acting really weird. And my friends were just like, no, no, like, oh, Jeff would never let you go out with his brother if there was anything like off about him. And like sort of made me feel like I was imagining like Jeff's such a nice guy, like sort of like, oh, I'm sure you're just imagining things like, and I think because he was like so quiet. I think everybody just sort of like assumed that he's like a super nice guy, but I'm like, but none of us know him. Like, but so I started feeling frustrated because everywhere I turned, people were telling me like, it's in my head or like, it's something I'm doing. And I sort of felt like, am I just like seeking drama? Like, am I, I don't know, like, is this just me, like, perceiving things to be, like, different than they are? Um, And then, um, so I'm, you know, spending lunch hours in my office eating by myself, and then my friends are like, oh, you like, Jeff came in and had lunch with us today, and, you know, we were signing with each other, and, yeah, you seem, like, super happy and chatty with us, and, oh, he was asking about you, and I'm like... So he's having lunch with my friends asking about, like, if he has questions about me, why doesn't he ask me? Like, and so I was just like, I felt like I was going crazy. (laughs) Like, I was just like, I don't know what's going on. Clearly I'm not managing this situation well. So I'm like, I'm going to send him an email. So I didn't tell my ex and I, so I'm emailing Jeff and I'm like, look, I am sincerely sorry if, um, If I've ever appeared unfriendly, you know, like this is a really difficult situation. I was trying to respect everybody's boundaries, but I don't think I've been doing a very good job of it. And it was never my intention to make you uncomfortable at work. And um, he emailed me back and his response was, I wish you the best in your personal and professional life. And I was like, okay, like that was me extending the olive branch. I I can't do any more than that. Um, So... I mean, eventually I just sort of gave up, but I mean, Jeff was definitely like the third person in that relationship. Like there was this duality where, you know, I was going to work trying to figure out what I had done to Jeff to make him dislike me so much and, you know, work on that. Cause I mean, it's, first of all, was the brother of someone who I was in a relationship with and who I cared about. And also it's like, I that's my job that I was spending eight hours a day there. I didn't want to be hiding in my office all the time and feeling anxious and uncomfortable. Um, so, you know, I have this situation going on at work where I'm trying to figure out Jeff, trying to figure out, you know, how to fix that situation. And then I go home and then I have my ex who's also doing like, you know, the hot and cold and, you know, becoming more and more distant. And, you know, he was starting to cancel dates and telling me that he felt really stressed when we had plans to get together, um, you know, and the love bombing had basically stopped at that point. And, um Yeah, eventually, you know, he just stopped answering my texts altogether. And I remember one night I just texted him. I was like, is it over? And he responded, I guess so. 
And then uh, he was like, you know, I totally understand if you're mad at me, you know, sometime down the road, you want to say hi, you, you should. Um, and then, you know, I was just like in shock, basically, that this relationship was over. And then it was like five minutes after that, he texted me saying like, wow, you know, I feel really relieved now that, that now that we've broken up. And I was just like, who is this person? Like, it was just so cold. Like, what a cruel thing to say. And this is after, you know, like all the effort that he put into telling me, like, you know, what we have is real and, you know, like planning the future and everything else, just like, you know, that he's relieved. Like, so anyways, I mean, that first breakup was horrible. I ended up taking a medical leave from work. Um, I'm seeing a counselor, went on antidepressants. I mean, I was like in like physical withdrawal, like throwing up and just shaky. My emotions were like just out of control. And it was about a week after we broke up, I was like just in shock and denial. And I texted him just to ask how he was doing. And he texted back, this girl I was just talking to ended things because she was upset that I still had pictures of my exes on Facebook. Weird. And I was like, why would you tell me that? And he replied, because it just happened. And so I asked him, I'm like, are you sad? Do you miss me? And he replied, no and no. Like he was just like gone, just like cold. And did you ever get Hoovered back? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it was about a month later. Um, and he texted me and was like, you know, I don't I don't always have to be the one to initiate texts. Um, and then, you know, I, I miss you and I hope I hear from you. So we ended up getting back together the next time we went out for about three months. I mean, it was the same thing. Um, dynamic at work didn't change. Um, same like hot and cold. Like everything was the same. He broke up with me again. Um it was about four months, I think, that time. We were still in contact after that breakup. He, after that breakup, he told me that we could keep sleeping together until he found someone else, but that, you know, it probably wouldn't take long, just like giving me a heads up. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. So, I mean, I guess I set one boundary. But um, anyways, so, yeah, it was about four months. And then um, we started talking again, got back together again. So this is like the third time we're back together. Um, that was right around my birthday. So I turned 40 earlier this year. And he and I had plans for my birthday um, that evening. And, uh, he stopped responding to my texts for like two days before my birthday. So I spent my 40th birthday scrambling, trying to find friends or trying to make plans. So I didn't spend the night by myself. Um, for his birthday, he threw himself three separate birthday parties. Uh, I was not invited to any of them. Um, shortly after that, I found out he was cheating on me and I'm pretty sure that he probably was for the duration of all of our relationships. That's just the only time I actually caught him. Um, I would be surprised if that was the only time. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's when, you know, dynamic was the same, hot and cold, superficial conversations, just, there's just like no depth or substance at all to our relationship. We never talked about like anything of substance. Um, the situation at work was just not getting any better. So I ended up actually taking a job in another department. Um, 
so yeah, after 10 years in the same position, um, I left. So I still work in this, uh, the same organization as his brother, uh, but I, we don't work in the same department anymore. So I still see him, um, but just not as frequently as I did before. And he still ignores me. And I mean, that's not going to change. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but by the end of our relationship, really like, I was just constantly anxious. Um, it stopped like even mattering if it was a good day and he was nice or if it was a bad day and he was cold. Like I never felt good when he was nice because it never lasted for more than a day. Um, he basically just started ignoring me when he came to visit. He'd sit out on the, on my back porch and he'd post in his social media groups, like every once in a while, come in and show me how many likes he got. But I mean, otherwise, like just couldn't even be bothered with me. All we, all we talked about was him and what, uh, what he was doing. I had like long since even stopped trying to talk about myself. Um, and I just, yeah, I was, I just felt like a zombie. Like I was just going through the motions. I had no energy at that point. I had dropped out of school because I just couldn't, I didn't have the energy to do anything, but I like ruminate on the relationship. Um, and a couple months before it ended, I started having panic attacks when we would spend the night together. Um, and I honestly, like I could, I couldn't even put together why, I was like, you know, this is so weird. Like, I'm so excited to see him. And like, coincidentally, every time he comes over, like I'm having a panic attack when I'm laying next to him in bed. Like, you know, the fog and the denial was just so deep at that point. Um, and I think it was like the last night that we spent together. Um, and I was like panicking, like my hands were shaking and I was crying. And um, so he turns on the lights and he's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know, like, you know, there's tears streaming down my face. I could hardly even sign. My hands were shaking so bad. And um, he responded by pulling me underneath him and starting to have sex with me. And that's when I was like, yeah, this man, like, he doesn't even see me as a human being. Like, yeah, I think that was like the moment when I really realized like this is like beyond just, he's not just like a selfish jerk. Um, or self-absorbed, like he's, there's something's going on here that's like deeper. Uh, I just want to point out to you, Annie, that uh, you've done nothing wrong and you were dealing with a master manipulator who weaponized uh, their disability as a way to really gain this upper hand and control. They use this idea of competition and winning someone as a form of control. And I've mentioned it throughout, you know, we've seen the show The Bachelor, when competition is put into something, it's just a really big uh, tactic, and you stop looking at things from different angles, and your ex used triangulation between the ex-girlfriends and his brother to just really further this control and you really have uh, a good heart. And I know it could take time, but I really want you to know that you did, you really did nothing wrong. And what he's done is despicable. And he knew what he was doing. And you really, you really did uh, nothing wrong. Yeah, well, thank, I mean, honestly, thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, as I'm telling this story, there are definitely parts where, you know, I'm, I question myself and I do, I, yeah, I do blame myself because I'm like, you know, I never told him that that wasn't okay. And 
still even like um today like preparing to come on the podcast I'm like yeah I don't even know like is this a story like cuz I I still feel like I contributed to it and in regards to the disability like I you know I am mindful that I as an able bodied person I don't like to dictate to people with disabilities like how they manage their disability or you know how they navigate their lives as a person with a disability and so you know I think I gave him a pass on a lot of behavior because I'm like I'm not a deaf person I don't know I don't know how, you know, what his experience is in navigating relationships with people who are hearing and I don't, and not having experience, I guess, with other deaf people. I'm like, I don't know, maybe all deaf people do hate all hearing people. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm not knowledgeable about deaf culture. I'm still not. My main exposure is what he exposed me to. And so I was always very careful to not think of like he's using his disability to like to hurt me or like he's doing this all wrong because I'm like I don't get to tell him how he navigates the world as a deaf man um you know the the only thing that you're guilty of is of being a good person uh, your ex saw someone who is caring someone who uh, put themselves into someone else's shoes to try and understand what they might be going through. Someone that didn't want to upset anyone or step on anyone's toes because you consider other people's feelings. You are a good person. You're just a good person and none of this was your fault. You came into contact with a wolf in sheep's clothing. They came in, they prayed on your goodness, the goodness in you. And they tried to make you feel like you were bad. And that's what this person did. And they're a pro at it. They're an abuser. And and you really did uh, nothing wrong. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I mean... I've listened to a lot of the other episodes of your show, um, obviously, like uh, before coming on here. And um, like, I appreciate that my story is probably pretty mild in comparison. Like, I feel very lucky that he and I were never more involved than we were. So like, we never lived together. We weren't married. We never had kids. Um, But with him, like, I really truly feel like it was like death by a thousand cuts. It was just like, you know, all the times that he shut down the conversation when I tried to talk about myself or, um, you know, all the times he would give me like that contemptuous, disdainful look when I was happy or, you know, like the ways he would always let me know that he wasn't sure about me or I wasn't as good as his exes or that I wasn't good enough for him. Um, and so I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to like, to come on the podcast and tell this story because, and my ex is like, he was not a grandiose person. He's like an average guy with an average job, like average apartment. Um, So I think that that like for me made it harder to recognize what was going on. It made me sort of doubt my own perception because he really like was just sort of masquerading as like an, ah, shucks, nice guy. And like, yeah, maybe sometimes he doesn't have a filter and he says things that like are inadvertently hurtful. Um, but it's like, 
just the day-to-day sort of like covert, you know, manipulative conversations were just like so insidious and so cumulative. So like after a year and like, so this whole thing was a year and a half. So in a year and a half, um, I met him. We broke up three times. We got back together twice. I took a one-month medical leave from work. I quit my job and got a new job. Um, Like, all of that happened in a year and a half. And, um, And, yeah, I just, by the time our relationship ended, I just felt worthless, stupid, like, unattractive, uninteresting, and like just crazy. Um, he, the third time he broke up with me, you know, it was the same thing. You know, he was a nice guy. He blamed me for everything. You know, it was my fault that we were breaking up because he just couldn't make me happy. You know, I didn't trust him. He just felt like he was never enough. Um, you know, he never knew what I was thinking. And he asked me like, how many times does he have to try and like to reassure me that, you know, that he wants to be with me? Um, And I'm like, how many times, like, he has never once apologized or admitted fault for anything he said or did. Um, The first time, after we got back together the first time, he came, the first time he was at my house, he started kissing me. And I stopped him and I told him, like, you hurt me. And he just kind of, like, rolled his eyes and, like, signed, like, I know. Like, he was just so annoyed that I would even bring it up. Like, he never acknowledged, like, the hurt that he caused, um... And I, you know, that's sort of, I wonder if he's sort of working on that same narrative that he had with some of his exes, you know, like he really loved them and like, they just didn't want to be with him. And that's kind of almost what it seemed like when he broke up with me, like, you know, we are really great, but like, how many times do I have to tell you like that? I love you and want to be with you. So, you know, it's like, it's all my fault, right? Because, you know, he's so hurt that he put so much effort into the relationship and I just don't recognize it. So anyways, that's how it ended. So, uh, where are you in your healing process? So the first one sucked. I mean, it was like the same thing, like just physical withdrawals. Um, you know, I, just trying to even figure out who I was. Like, I just felt like I was in pieces. Like, I'm like, I don't even know where to begin starting to put myself back together. Like, I just, I was like lost. Like I would go to the grocery store and I'm like, what do I buy if I'm not buying what he wants? Like, I don't even know what to watch on TV because like, what do I choose if it's not based on, you know, what would win his approval? So, I mean, that was really like the first month was just like learning how to function day to day again. Um, This is the end of month two. So uh, we broke up on Independence Day. So that was a little bit over two months ago. And um, so things are better now, like my emotions are stabilized. I am going to be taking part in a 12-week support group for women who are in abusive relationships or who have been in abusive relationships. So um, I think that will be helpful just to hear like other people's experiences and um, just, I don't know, maybe it will make me feel less crazy. (laughs) Because, right, I mean, right now, I just, I feel crazy. I feel like, 
some days I feel like the whole thing was my fault and I'm blowing it way out of proportion. Other days I'm like, no, he's like a complete sociopath. And, you know, some days I have like a ton of compassion for him. Other days I'm just so mad at him. Like I'm shaking. Um, yeah. So I don't, I, I, I'm still working on perspective. (laughs) And are you going to be seeing a therapist? Yeah. Yeah, I am. So I have an appointment uh, this weekend actually to um, meet a therapist and she specializes in like trauma and PTSD. I don't, yeah, I don't even know, like I'm not diagnosing myself or like giving myself any labels, but I do know that I spend a lot of my day feeling very confused and, um, you know, I'm very reactionary to things. Like I'm, I get startled really easily. I get, um, you know, it's really difficult for me to deal with people some days. And so I'm definitely going to do like the one-on-one counseling as well. So I really want to thank you for being uh, on our show, but uh, as well, do you have any uh, words of wisdom for everyone listening? Um, And so when I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about, what I really wanted to focus on were like the red flags and, you know, the things that I noticed that I sort of brushed away or made excuses about um, and how I really, you know, my inner voice was screaming at me the entire time, like, get away. This is wrong. This is not okay. You know, I mentioned like how anxious and how much dread I would feel spending time with him. And um, like, I've spent time with people, like we've all been around people who are kind of jerks or people who are selfish, but this was different. Like when I, in hindsight, when I was with him, like my blood ran cold, he was missing something. Like there was a humanity that was missing to him. Um, And I knew that. And so I hope that if there's anybody listening to this who's in a dynamic with a person and they're, you know, they feel like something's off, it's like just check in with yourself, like check in early, check in often. If, you know, this relationship or this dynamic is consuming you, if it's all you're thinking about, if you're spending every day crying, if, this, you know, this person is all you can think about or talk about, if this is, you know, the only topic of conversation you have with your friends, like just trust your gut. And I promise you, as scary as it is to leave, like I'm still a mess. I'm not in a great place right now, but it is a million times better than where I was when I was with him. And so I hope that, I don't know, I just, if there's anybody listening, like I believe you, what you are experiencing, your perception is real. Like what you perceive is happening is happening. And that's it. Well, thank you, Annie, for being a guest on our show. It's not easy to do. Well, thank you, Annie, for being a guest on our show. And if you want to be a guest like Annie was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Please do read all the instructions on our Guest Form page and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com 
or fill out our guest form and press the submit button. And please do read all of the instructions and send it to us in the format that we ask for. Also, just please send in your stories. We can never have enough stories, so please send them in. And also, if you need support, please do join our support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that, it takes you to our very own safe social network. Inside, you will find that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, and Saturday night. We also have forum boards for you to post on and for other survivors like you to uh, validate your experiences and support you. We have ad-free episodes and episodes that never made it to air. And, you know, if you just want to support the show as well, join our support group because it helps out us a lot when you do so. And uh, if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse, domesticshelters.org has articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are going through. They have every phone number, website address, and email address for shelters, big towns, small towns, doesn't matter what size your town, they have it on domesticshelters.org. It is a great organization run by great people. So please, if you need even more support, please do go to domesticshelters.org. And that is it for today's episode. Uh, Once again, uh, Annie, if you're out there listening, thank you for, for being our guest. And from Annie and myself, we hope you have a good night.